I think that God has uh, something good in mind. Uh, the sister mentioned how the verse she was choosing was the one from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, my grace is sufficient. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 verse 9 says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. Weakness. And I want to have prayer and uh, then we're going to move on into what we're talking about tonight. Um, because we sometimes struggle when difficulties come our way. We don't understand what God is doing. And I'd like to share with you a little bit about what the Bible says on that subject and then talk about um, you know, the purpose of, of, of why God allows us to even have those, those struggles. Um, but we'll get to that. Let me have a word of prayer and then we will continue. Father in heaven, I thank you that I have the opportunity of of being here with my brothers and sisters to share again this evening what your word says about our lives. Some people think the Bible is boring, that it's not relevant. Well, that's not true. I pray that this evening it will make perfect sense to every person that is here. I pray, Father, that we will go home encouraged, that we will go home better understanding the way you work and have a better understanding of the things going on around us. Once again, I have been chosen. But Father, they will gain no blessings unless you're speaking through me. Help me, Father, to speak slowly and distinctly, loud enough and accurately so that every blessing you intend will get through without any hindrance from Dan. Please forgive me of my sins. Please forgive them of their sins so that we will truly have succeeded, Father, in coming into your presence and learning together this evening. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have all read that verse about my grace is sufficient. Remember, Paul had a thorn. And three times he asked God to deal with that thorn and take it away. Did God answer his prayer? Yes. He did. Remember, answers to prayer are not only yes, sometimes they are no. And God made something, an interesting statement there. He said, my grace is sufficient. Why? Because my strength will be made perfect in your weakness. How often do we remember that actually when we're going through difficult times, God is actually causing us to be stronger through those difficulties. Do you, think, do you remember that? That, you know, and we're going to look at some Bible verses that God knows what he's doing at least 50% of the time, right? No? Less than that? 40%? You know, there was a book written once because an atheist came to an author and said, you Christians remind me of someone with a headache. It hurts you to get rid of your head, but you can't afford to be without it. And, and that's kind of how you act with your Christianity. This is Dan's paraphrase. And uh, she said, you can't expect anyone to have much of an interest in Christianity if you're going around looking upset and unhappy all the time. And so she wrote her book, The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. But this is the point. That God knows what he's doing 100% of the time. And if you can come to believe that, 
you will be a much happier Christian. Okay? Um, now, when I say that, I say that with one very large caveat, and that is God knows what he's doing, and you'll enjoy his blessings, either in the strong way or the weakened way, depending on what God sees best, if you have confidence in him and if you're obeying him. Okay? You know, I can, I can, for example, read the owner's manual to my car and say, I believe these people knew what they're doing, but I refuse to take care of my car the way it's supposed to be taken care of. So I'm going to let the tires go flat, and I'm going to drive, you know, with flat tires, you know, with the rims right on that rubber with no air in them. Now, I had faith in the, in the, in the owner's manual, but was I surrendering and obeying? No. We would not expect to find some kind of great blessing you know, uh, in terms of, of that vehicle. And it's the same way in our lives. If we refuse to, to obey God, then we can only blame ourselves for our problems. A lot of people are doing whatever they want and they're busy blaming God. But if you really want to know the blessings of God, it is because you trust and what else? We sing it all the time. Trust and obey. Because there's how many other ways? No other way. Yeah. And there's something in that song that says, until we've laid, what? Everything on the altar, you know? All on the altar we lay. That's when we truly find the joy of Christianity. And I've said it before. Some of us, some of us could have just enough Christianity to be miserable, not enough to be happy. A lot of people have just enough to feel guilty, just enough to, to darken the edges of a church from time to time, but not enough Christianity to truly obey and therefore have all the blessings that God has in mind for them. Well, uh, has anyone else uh, heard of a missionary by the name of Helen Rosevere? Does that name ring a bell? Ah, you haven't heard of her. Uh, Helen Rosevere was a missionary a physician who moved to the Belgian Congo to serve as a doctor to local tribes. And there she uh, built a hospital made of handcrafted bricks, stocked it with medicines, and was busy taking care of the local people and worked there for 12 years. Um, her work there had a, a tragic part of it with the onset of a bloody revolution in August of 1964, August 8. Specifically, the Republic of Congo was plunged into a civil war. And it began a time of five terrible months during which 27 missionaries were killed and more than 200 Roman Catholic priests and nuns were murdered, to say nothing of nearly a quarter of a million innocent African civilians being butchered. And every one of those lives was equally important to God. Okay? What a tragedy. So many local people... And, uh, and missionaries as well. Should have never happened. Well, uh, she uh, was welcomed, uh, I mean, she was rescued eventually to go back to England, but she went through some very, very difficult experiences where she was raped at some point and went through a lot of brutality. One of the missionaries that was affiliated with her was murdered. And as she would speak to other people, the question would often come, where was God in all of that? And I remember asking that same question of, of a young woman who grew up in Rwanda during the genocide in Rwanda 
And she said, you know, that's a, a common question that is discussed amongst people who live in those countries, you know, when genocide is taking place. Well, in Helen Rosevere's case, she said, God gave me a supernatural faith to keep believing no matter what was going on. Um, independence had been declared in the Belgian Congo um, in 1960. Mutiny had broken out and, um, and, and various and sundry things were going on. Anyway, a mutiny broke out in the army, the white population fled, and interracial relationships crumbled. Now, let me share a bit of commentary here. She had been working hard to really bring about a family relationship between the missionaries and the pastors and those people and the local people, where there would be no differences, be they white, you know, black, or something in between. That's what she wanted. But with this mutiny, uh, relationships between the various cultures crumbled. It wasn't only in the upper echelons of the government, wasn't just in the local government, to her horror, it was also in the church. And that's a great tragedy, isn't it? You know, our churches should be models of what heaven will be like someday. Uh, the rebellion came, and uh, there was a, a terrible night that transformed her face. She says it was a, a Saturday afternoon. A truck drove into the village where I lived, and I could hear the noise from the house of rough, angry voices shouting. And then two men burst into my home. That was the first indication that we were at war. The men inspected everything. They smashed a lot of property. And then suddenly I realized they had an evil intentions in regard to myself. She said, realizing that I ran, I hid, but they came after me, found me, they struck me, they beat me. I lost my back teeth to the boot of a rebel soldier. They broke my glasses so I couldn't even see what was going on. And she talks about the fact that, that it was a, a terrible thing to be blind. And during that, she was also terribly violated. She said, if I would have prayed at that point, I would have certainly prayed, Lord, why have you forsaken me at this time? As these thoughts were going through her mind, she suddenly became aware of a holy presence. I knew with every fiber in my being that God, the almighty creator, was there, she said. Then God spoke to her and listened carefully to what God said. Can you thank me for trusting you with this even if I never tell you why? Can you thank me for trusting you with these even if I never explain? In other words, God was saying, even though you don't know what's going on, can you thank me that I have sufficient confidence in you that I've allowed this to come your way? How about that? That God actually allows things to come our way occasionally because he somehow knows what he's doing even if we don't. And God said, can you thank me for trusting you with this terrible ordeal even if I don't explain? Can you thank me? I've told people that the two most important words for Christians are the two following ones. Yes and thank you. Yes, Lord, somehow you've allowed this to happen. Thank you, somehow this will also be for my good. We need to learn to say yes 
and thank you much more than we do. She said, you know, when, 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 when God spoke to her, she said she was able to say, yes, Lord, and, and this peace came to her. Now, it's interesting that eventually the, they brought her and, and, and she had made some accusations against the men that had violated her, if I understood correctly. And they said, oh, we would never do that. She said, no, no. She said, it was, these, you know, it was this man. I saw him. I know who it was. They said, well, we're going to have a people's court. And she knew that a people's court was, was a kangaroo court where they just trumped up charges and then they killed the person. There was no justice at all. And they said, well, we're going to have a people's court. These were the mutinous soldiers. So they gathered nearly 800 local men into the village square. They had been told they would attend a people's court in which Rosevere would be tried for the things that occurred the previous week. And at a given signal, they were instructed to shout, she's a liar, she's a liar. Then they would be asked, well, what shall we do? And the response was supposed to be, crucify her, crucify her. In other words, they wanted the local people to condemn her. She writes, they wanted me to go through in detail in front of these 800 men what had happened the previous Thursday. I wasn't going to speak up in front of all those men, but they struck me on the face with the butt end of a gun. I couldn't stand the pain, so I spoke up. The moment of judgment had come. She couldn't see her jury. Her eyes had nearly closed with the swelling of the beatings, but she could hear. And at a particular moment, instead of hearing, you know, she's a liar, she's a liar, she began to hear crying. And she kind of opened her eyes and discovered that the people had all begun crying. And instead of saying, she's a liar, she's a liar, they were weeping. And they said, she is ours. She's ours. They, they said, she's our doctor. And she said, in a moment, the differences between the cultures vanished. And they were one family. And she said, they continued from that moment in that way because of this horrible experience that was allowed to come to her. My brothers and sisters, when, when Paul was told, you know, my grace is sufficient because my strength is made perfect. My grace is sufficient because my strength is made perfect in weakness. God knew what he was doing. And I would like to suggest that, you know, even in those things that you find so difficult, God is able to say to you, if you have surrendered your life to God, I know what I'm doing. Can you thank me? Can you thank me? Because I can, I can lead you through this and trust that you will keep holding on. What does the Bible say on this subject? What does the Bible say about this? If you would, let's look at some, some verses uh, that speak to this. Look, if you would, first of all, at the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. It says, But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. God comes as a refiner. 
but not just a refiner of silver and gold, but refiner of our characters, so that, as it says in verse 3, we may be able to offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. When you think of the silver and the gold that's being refined, the silver and the gold doesn't know what's good for it, does it? It has to accept what the refiner is doing. And you know, the refiner, I've, I've heard, looks carefully to make sure that the temperature gets to just the right temperature and then it's removed from the fire. And when God works in our lives, he looks just as carefully to see what's going on for us. Look at Isaiah chapter 48. Isaiah chapter 48. Verse 10. Isaiah 48, verse 10. It says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. God says, I test you in the furnace of what? The furnace of affliction. God uses difficulties. God uses affliction to do what apparently we can't learn any other way. Look at the book of Proverbs now. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. Proverbs 3, verse 11. Proverbs 3, verse 11. It says there, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. What does the word chastening mean? The discipline, right? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he does what? He corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. David uh, had learned this lesson. And, and uh, here in the book of Proverbs, Solomon is, is reiterating that, that there are times when God chastens and he says, do not detest it, because those whom the Lord loves, he does what? He corrects. We should not be surprised if God does a correcting work in our lives from time to time. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be looking at uh, two verses, verse 5 and verse 11. It says there, and you have forgotten the exhortation, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, and then 11. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. We just read that. Nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He scourges every son whom he receives. Verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been what? To those who've been trained by it. So we should not expect that those chastening, afflictive experiences are, this feels good. That's not what this is all about. But somehow through the eye of faith, we believe that God knows what he is doing because God is, in a sense, it says right there in verse 11, because it yields what? The peaceable fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained 
by it. God knows how to train us. And these trials are sometimes a part of his program. Look at 1 Peter now. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Okay? So when difficulties come, it's not a strange thing. Okay? It says what? But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. It says there, not only accept it, but rejoice because somehow you are participating in what Jesus went through. Okay, we continue. Um, And then in Revelation chapter 3, verse 18, Revelation chapter 3, verse 18, we're told to buy something, right? We, we read that. It says, I counsel you to buy from me gold. How? Refine in the fire. Gold refined in the fire. And what does the gold represent? Love. Okay? We're, we're told to, to buy that love that is strengthened, which is improved through the fire, through the refining experiences. Would you agree that the Bible is clear that apparently God uses refining experiences to help us, his children, that we shouldn't be surprised, right? And that it will result in the fruits of righteousness. Now, there are people out here, not here in the church, but rhetorically speaking, who would suggest that if you're really walking with God, you'll never have any difficulties. That is not from the Bible. That is from someone's imagination and Satan uses it to fool people. Okay? Doesn't mean that Christians are unhappy or miserable. But the idea that if you're a strong Christian you'll never have problems and never have difficulties is not from the Bible. Okay? We're told that clearly in the verses that we've been reading. Let's think about some individuals that went through difficult experiences Uh, in God's uh, training in their lives. The first person that comes to mind is when Adam fell. What was he told? Adam, I'm going to redeem you, I'm going to help you, and then it'll be easy street from from now on, right? Is that what God said? God said, no, your work is going to be hard, right? And what did God say to Eve? Childbirth will be painful. God warned them from the very beginning, things have changed, but you know what? There would be a blessing in that. There would be a blessing in that. Another person that came to mind was Joseph. We talked about Joseph last evening. Who would have thought that that a man who is destined for such an important position would spend most of his character development in slavery and in jail? But that was the best place to humble him to where he would get to the point where he was prepared to listen and obey God 100% of the time. What about the children of Israel? 
We learned about them last night, right? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. It says there, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Notice that. God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to do what? To humble you and to test you. God allows difficulties to come our way because in these humbling, challenging experiences, God is testing us and I believe helping us also see ourselves in a different way. Did David ever have any difficulties? He had already been anointed as king, right? And, and he, he, he wins a decisive victory in, in, in bringing down Goliath. And you would have thought that everyone would have been thrilled, but there was jealousy, and his life is made miserable. And it didn't just happen for a weekend, did it? It continued. How would you like to go through life knowing that someone was actively looking to kill you if he could? Would not have been fun, but that was the training that David was allowed to go through. God allowed that, and David felt strongly that it wasn't in his right to bring Saul down, even if he was ungodly, because David was, I mean, Saul was God's choice for king at that moment, right? Exactly. So David went through difficult experiences. What about Daniel? Absolutely. Daniel went through difficult moments as well. What about his friends? Difficult moments too, right? How many of you would like to have a knock on the door and someone knock on the door and say, by the way, we're here to, to execute you? Do you think you would have been saying, thank you, Lord, this is for my good? Someday, maybe we'll study the book of Daniel together. I don't know, but that's a marvelous story. Anyway, and then... Last but not least, and, and there's many more, what about the Lord Jesus? Did he go through difficult moments? Yes, he did, and we're going to see that in greater detail. Well, what does the Bible say about how we should react to our difficulties? Look at Romans 8.28. You all know that one, I'm sure, but we're going to read it. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans 8, verse 28. It says there, and we know that some things work together for good, right? All things. Are you sure about that? Joyce, are you sure? Do you really believe that every day? Okay. Let me ask you another question. I'll put you on the spot. Do you have a happy spirit every day because you know that God's working all things? Not every day. I'll be honest. I believe the verse. I wasn't picking on you unnecessarily, you know, uh, on purpose. But the point is, is that we believe the verse, but we don't always act like we believe the verse, do we? Often we are discouraged because the all things is not just the good things or the things out there. Sometimes are the things that we look at and we say, how will this ever change? How could this aspect of my relationships be part of the all things working for good. 
And it really takes a lot of faith sometimes to look at the challenges in our lives and say, somehow, this is part of the all things that my grace is sufficient for. Not only sufficient for, but truly for good. That's Romans 8.28. Now, notice Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians comes after Galatians. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 20, it says, giving thanks most of the time for most of the things, right? No, giving thanks for always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, submitting to one another in the fear of God. It says, giving thanks how much of the time? For how many things? All things, all the times. Ephesians 5.20. Ephesians 5.20. That is in the Bible, isn't it? Okay. It is. We all agree it's in the Bible. Look at 1 Thessalonians now. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. In verse 18, I'm sorry. It says, we'll start in verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything, here's another one of those everything words, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you want to know God's will when it comes to saying thank you, you just read it. Giving thanks for all things. Now, I have some painful things in my life and, you know, I think that verse applies to things in my life and maybe they apply to the things in your life too. We, we, we all read English the same way, don't we? Yeah. Giving thanks for this is the will in everything. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So when we say rejoice always, it's because we have good reason to rejoice. Did you hear me? We rejoice always because somehow it is God's will that we find a way to give thanks for everything going on. You're with me, aren't you? Okay, look at Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. It says there, be anxious for how much? How many of you can assure me that you always obey God? Do you ever worry? Are you ever anxious? You are disobeying. It says, be anxious for how much? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer, so it doesn't mean just praise the Lord, I won't do anything, but but in everything by prayer and supplication, asking God for help, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's why Christians can be happy. Because they've been told, don't be anxious. Make it a matter of prayer. And be sure to say thank you in your prayer because God is still in charge. God will still get you through. And I bet if we had a testimony time this evening, right now, we ask people to share stories of moments when God has gotten them through, we would realize 
that God's children never go begging, that he always comes through somehow. Okay? I know we would say that. And we need to remind ourselves of it more and more all the time. Okay? So those are just some of the the verses. I could give you more of them. But the point is, is that we serve an amazing God who says, it may not look like I'm in charge, but behind everything, I still have the last word. And if you have put your confidence in me and you're willing to have faith and constantly surrender, I can get you through whatever you are facing. My grace is truly sufficient. Ephesians 3.20. I want you to all look at it. And I'll tell you how I like to read this. It says, Now to him who is able to do what? Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Notice, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could, what? Ask, which is much. Or imagine, which is what I hold out for. That's why we have confidence when we pray. Okay? So we need to face difficulties with joy. Now, what is the purpose of suffering? What is the purpose of suffering? I'd like to give you some real answers so you'll read and you'll know why you can truly smile when bad things come along. Maybe you already know these things, but in case you don't, we'll, we'll do just a few more. Let's think about the story of Daniel and his friends. Look at Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel comes after the major prophets. Daniel chapter 3. He's after Ezekiel. Daniel chapter 3. It's the story of the three friends in the fiery furnace, and I'll give you the story. Nebuchadnezzar decides to put a big statue in the plains. And uh, he's gotten the idea because he had a dream. And uh, everyone that's important has been called there, and so they're all there with the exception of Daniel. Daniel apparently wasn't there that day, and we could take time to discuss why he wasn't present that day, but we won't take the time. But... Everyone knew that when the music played, they were all to bow down to the statue, which instead of being made of various metals proving that history would continue and Nebuchadnezzar would leave the scene of history, it was all made of gold. I think Nebuchadnezzar was trying to make a a statement that I'm not leaving, no one should get any funny ideas. I believe that's what he was trying to do. Okay? Um, Anyway, Nebuchadnezzar had, had a dream... We read about it in Daniel chapter 2. And in his dream, he'd seen the image, right? Image of gold, silver, and then all the metals right down to the feet. And he didn't know, and Daniel had interpreted. And so in chapter 3, now Daniel, um, Nebuchadnezzar sets up this, this image. And he's called everyone, and they're told, when the music plays, you're supposed to bow down. And the music plays, and everyone bows down except for three people, right? And they were noticed. And I'll just throw it in gratuitously at this moment. Whenever you take a stand for truth, often you get noticed, okay? Um, That just comes with the territory. Anyway, Nebuchadnezzar, I think he liked those three boys. He said, have them come and and we'll have a bit of a chat together. And he explained again. He thought maybe they had misunderstood. And you know what their response was? 
King, this is Dan's paraphrase, we're not even going to take a lot of time to think about our answer. If the music plays, we're not bowing down, and if God wants to deliver us, perfect. But if he doesn't, it's not going to change what we do. We're going to be obedient. Nebuchadnezzar, who was given to fits of temper, he lost it. He said, throw them in, heat that fire up more. And the men who threw them in, they died because the heat was so intense. And they were thrown in bound, right? Now notice what the story says there. It says, um, verse 23, chapter 323, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? Look, he said, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Fascinating. When they get out, it says their clothes weren't singed. There wasn't even the smell of fire in their hair. What was the purpose of that furnace? What was the blessing to the three boys? Excuse me? They got to be with Jesus in the fiery furnace. Yep. What else? Well, they came out unbound. They came out unbound. And that's a huge point. The only thing that they lost in the fiery furnace was that which was artificially binding them from walking in the freedom that God intended. And often when we get put in fiery furnace experiences, it's because God wants to burn away that which is artificially keeping us from serving him in freedom. Did you hear me? Nothing important was lost. Only the things that, that their society, the king, had put on their, uh, on their arms. It was a blessing. Not only that, but afterwards Nebuchadnezzar made a great proclamation that everyone was to respect the God of these three boys. That could not have happened any other way. And by the way, there's no safer place than a fiery furnace. No one else will, will follow in and, and give you a hard time. Did you hear me? You're in special protection. That and the lion's den. No one goes into the lion's den either. So it's not so bad. Trust me. And if you trust God and believe he knows what he's doing, you're going to find blessings coming out of that that could not have come any other way. So that's one reason that we have these difficulties. Here's another one. Uh, when Jesus went into the wilderness, remember that was a, a test. Do you remember that when Jesus was baptized, the Bible says that, that he came out of the water and what came down from heaven? The Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says the Holy Spirit drove him where? Into the wilderness. The Spirit drove him into a time of difficulty. And the Holy Spirit sometimes intentionally allows us to have difficulties. And Jesus was tested three ways, right? What was the first test? what we refer to as appetite. He had fasted for 40 days. He was hungry. And the devil came to him and said, if you're really the son of God, you have the ability to turn these stones into bread, you know, turn them into bread. Prove it. And how did Jesus respond? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word to Jesus obeying his father was more important than anything else. That was the first test. What was the second test? 
based on, on Matthew, he was taken to the top of the temple and told to throw himself off. Why? Because the devil said, if you're God, the angels will come and collect you. You know, they'll protect you. And Jesus said, you shouldn't tempt God. What was the third one? Showed him a picture of the whole world and said, if you'll just bow down to me, uh, I'll give you all of this. And what did Jesus say? You must only worship God, right? This is Dan's paraphrase. What was the, the special temptation for Jesus? What was the temptation for Jesus? And it's the temptation for all of us here this evening too. Not to trust. Let me put it this way. There are special temptations that come to people who are trying to serve God. There are times when hunger comes to us. And you know what the question becomes? God, I'm serving you. Why am I hungry? God, I love you. Why am I having these difficulties? And we learn from Jesus that we must trust God even if we don't see his hand necessarily easily in the circumstances around us. Okay? With the second one, it goes like this. If, if I'm working hard for God and I don't see any results, why no results? I'm one of your children. And the temptation is to use something from this earth to make some kind of demonstration or some kind of exhibition to get an artificial attention. And the temptation is to go to the world to get results instead of saying, God, I would rather be without any results, get no notice, but be faithful because I believe that is the way to ultimately get the blessings. Okay. And what was the third one? Temptation. Satan basically said, Jesus, you don't need to suffer. You can have it the easy way. And we're also tempted to say, man, this is hard, God. I choose not to die to self. I choose to have it the easy way. And yet Jesus endured, didn't he? And because he, he overcame those three temptations, saying, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to choose his timing. I'm going to choose to be faithful in the way that I, I work to reach others. And I'm going to choose that path of denial, the, the narrow way. We will come out of that much, much stronger than we would be otherwise. Okay? So sometimes um, God allows us to have testing experiences because it strengthens us to face whatever comes along. Remember I told you with the children of Israel coming out of the wilderness that God, for example, allowed them to go three days in the hot desert sands so that they could learn to die to self to their own timing instead of God's timing. One more story. One more little story. Acts 2 verse, uh, no, Acts 28 verse 3. You all know the story. Maybe you all know this. Acts 28, Acts 28 verse 3. It says, now to give some background, Paul had been on a ship. He was being taken as a prisoner and they have a shipwreck and all, they all come ashore on the island of Malta. So in verse 1 it says, Now when they had escaped, 
they, were found, they found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul was gathering a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper, a poison snake came out and bit him. Was that a blessing? Why did God allow a snake to bite Paul? What? Why? How? Okay. It showed the power of God, but, but and it, you're, you're right on. But one other thing. Had Paul not been bitten by a snake, they would have never known that Paul was a follower of God. Had Paul never been bitten, they would have never known about the God of Paul. They would have never looked at him as someone different. And it may be that there's some people here who are going through difficult times because God intends to use that difficult experience to be a blessing if we will continue to have faith and we will continue to surrender and we will continue to obey. Did you hear me? We must trust and obey because there's not only no other way, it is the best way. It is the best way. God's grace makes us strong in our weakness. Okay? Now, a few quotations. A few quotations. Verse, uh, verse, line 835. The purification, this is in our little booklet, line 835, if you've got it, if you have it. The purification of God's people cannot be accomplished without suffering. Did you hear me? Line 835. The purification of God's people cannot be accomplished without suffering. God permits the fire of affliction to consume the dross, to separate the worthless from the valuable in order that the pure metal may shine forth. He passes us from one fire to another, etc. Look at 8.45. Some seek to control their surroundings, thinking that if they are placed in favorable positions, the bad traits in their character will not be developed. But God orders our surroundings and he will place us where we shall have test after test to prove us and to reveal what is in our hearts. Again and again, we shall be brought into straight places that it may be known whether we are indeed crucified with Christ or full of self-love. God puts us in places where we're going to be tested on purpose. And the sooner we accept it, the happier we will be. One last, well, two, just bits of the next two. 853, God has shown me that he gave his people a bitter cup to drink to purify and cleanse them. It is a bitter drought, and they can make it still more bitter by murmuring, complaining, and repining. But those who receive it thus must have another drought, for the first does not have its designed effect upon the heart. And if the second does not affect the work, then they must have another and another until it does have its designed effect, or they'll be left filthy and impure in heart. In other words, God will give us a trial. And if we don't learn that time, God will give us another trial and then another trial. And I always ask the question, wouldn't it be better to learn quickly? instead of having to endure cup after cup of a bitter drought. 
Wouldn't you agree? Finally, 862, the Father's love encircled Christ and nothing befell him but that which infinite love permitted for the blessings of the world. Here was his source of comfort and it is for us. He who is imbued with the Spirit of Christ abides in Christ. Whatever comes to him comes from the Savior who surrounds him with his presence and nothing can touch him except by the Lord's permission. Whatever comes, comes with what? God's permission. We serve an awesome, awesome God. In this journey of pursuing revival, God will use refining experiences. You can, you can count on it. You can expect it. But remember, in all things, not just some things, God is working for good. Don't lose your confidence in the Lord. Don't look for an exit. Don't look to the ways of the world to deal with things that God has his own spiritual godly way to deal with. He will not disappoint you and he will bring you forth minus the dross as pure gold. Okay? God wants you to be healthy, happy, holy Christians. And trials are part of the roadway. But remember, they're sent for good, not for evil. And the sooner we learn that, the happier we will be as Christians. Tonight, I think I'll have one prayer for all of us. Since it's pretty late, I apologize. I was supposed to only go real short on these meetings. Apologize. Let me have a word of prayer for all of us. Why don't we kneel together? Father in heaven, I love to study the Bible when it comes to to your care of your children through good experiences and, and not so good experiences. We've read verses about how you use chastening or, 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 or refining experiences, uh, trials, to, to help us get better. I'm grateful, Lord, that for each one of us here, as we surrender our lives completely to you and we trust you, as we hold on to your hand even when we can't see where you're going and trust that you're going to walk us through all the way to, to the other side of the dark tunnel perhaps that we feel we find ourselves in, we know that you will, you will not disappoint and that you'll come forth victorious. I don't know what that's going to mean like in detail. Lord, you know I pray for some family members and I've been praying for them for years. And I know there's others that pray for family members. Lord, there's other situations that are difficult and some of us, Lord, have defects of characters that seem just like cement in our hearts. But tonight, Lord, we want to give ourselves to you and ask that you would take control of all the circumstances in our lives, all the relationships in our lives, all the variables in our lives, and that you would bring things together in such a way that everything that is ungodly, everything that, that is rubbish in our hearts, rubbish in our lives, rubbish in our relationships, rubbish, Lord, in our attempt to walk with you, that it would be completely burned away and never allowed to come back. And that out of that, Lord, we will learn to sing a song of joy that would be there no matter what was going on. Do this for each person here. Do it for me too. And Lord, do it for those who aren't here. Please, for Jesus' sake. And I thank you 
In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.